This is a podcast of First Presbyterian Church of Trenton, Michigan, a gospel-centered community seeking to glorify God by making, maturing, and multiplying disciples. For more information, check out fpchurch.tv. At this time, we turn to the scriptures for our scripture reading, and our sermon text this morning will come from Malachi chapter 3. So I would invite you to turn there. Uh, Then I'll also read a second uh, reading that comes from the New Testament from 2 Corinthians chapter 9. Uh, While you're turning there, if I could just add one announcement to what's been said already. Uh, Not only is there a funeral for uh, Tom Moore this week, but there's also a memorial service on Saturday uh, in honor of Cary Campus. And so uh, just two, two great opportunities really for us to come out and celebrate God's goodness, God's faithfulness. Um, and celebrate the life uh, of these two men, and uh, just come around uh, uh, each of their wives this week and be a blessing to them. So I hope that you can come out for both of those opportunities. Okay, Malachi chapter 3, and uh, beginning in verse 6. For I, the Lord, do not change. Therefore, you, O children of Jacob, are not consumed. From the days of your fathers, you have turned aside from my statutes and have not kept them. Return to me, and I will return to you, says the Lord of hosts. But you say, how shall we return? Will man rob God? Yet you are robbing me. But you say, how have we robbed you? In your tithes and contributions. You are cursed with a curse, for you are robbing me, the whole nation of you. Bring the full tithes into the storehouse, that there may be food in my house, and thereby put me to the test, says the Lord of hosts. If I will not open the windows of heaven for you and pour down for you a blessing until there is no more need, I will rebuke the devourer for you, so that it will not destroy the fruits of your soil, and your vine in the field shall not fail to bear, says the Lord of hosts. Then all nations will call you blessed, for you will be a land of delight, says the Lord of hosts. Your words have been hard against me, says the Lord. But you say, how have we spoken against you? You have said it is vain to serve God. What is the profit of our keeping his charge or of walking as in mourning before the Lord of hosts? And now we call the arrogant blessed. Evildoers not only prosper, but they put God to the test and they escape. And then turning to 2 Corinthians chapter 9, also verses 6 through 15. The point is this. Whoever sows sparingly will also reap sparingly. And whoever sows bountifully will also reap bountifully. Each one must give as he has made up his mind, not, not reluctantly or under compulsion. For God loves a cheerful giver. And God is able... To make all grace abound to you, so that having all sufficiency in all things at all times, you may abound in every good work. As it is written, he has distributed freely. He has given to the poor. His righteousness endures forever. He who supplies seed to the sower and bread for food will supply and multiply your seed for sowing and increase the harvest of your righteousness. You will be enriched in every way for all your generosity, 
which through us will produce thanksgiving to God. For the ministry of this service is not only supplying the need of the saints, but is also overflowing in many thanksgivings to God. By their approval of this service, they will glorify God because of your submission flowing from your confession of the gospel of Christ and the generosity of your contribution for them and for all others, while they long for you and pray for you because of the surpassing grace of God upon you. Thanks be to God for his inexpressible gift. Good morning. It's a joy to be with you this morning. If you have your Bibles, please have them open to Malachi 3 as we'll be continuing our series in the Minor Prophets and continuing specifically looking in Malachi. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, as we gather in this space, we recognize, Lord, your hand of care and compassion upon us. The way you provide for us, the way you love us, the way you, the way you take care of every need that we have. The very air we breathe, the very food we eat, they're all gifts from you. And yet, Lord, we are mindful of that special gift which came in the form of your Son, our Lord, who took on human flesh, who walked amongst us, who obeyed the law perfectly so that he could stand in our place and receive our judgment, a judgment we would receive righteously because we are sinners in need of a Savior, and you provided that Savior in the sinless Christ. Thank you for his willingness to come and die and bleed so that we could be washed clean, so that we can be spared and saved and redeemed. Lord, the good news of the gospel is profound that those who once were enemies of God are now brought into the family of God, that we are co-heirs with Christ, that his righteousness is our righteousness. All that belongs to him, he shares with us. Oh, the wonderful beauty of the gospel. God, may we see your love before us. May we hear it this morning. May our hearts be softened, our Minds be cleared, and Lord, may we be obedient. May we hear your voice and respond with love and appreciation and gratitude of all that you give us. Lord, I pray that you would speak through me now. I pray, Lord, that I wouldn't say anything more nor less than you've given me to say, but God, that I would be faithful to your word this morning. We pray this in Jesus' name. And God's people said, Amen. As Thanksgiving was approaching, a woman called the Purdue Turkey Hotline with a question. The service rep answered the phone and asked, how can I help you? To which the woman responded, I was wondering if my frozen turkey would be okay to use. The service rep asked, well, has it ever been out of the freezer? Has it ever been defrosted? Or has it been frozen the entire time? To which the woman responded, it's been frozen the whole time. The service rep then asked an important question. How long has it been in the freezer? To which the woman replied, 23 years. The service rep gasped. 
23 years, ma'am. Well, if it's been frozen the entire time, the turkey could be cooked, but if you eat it, it's going to taste awful. To which the woman replied, well, that's fine. It's not for me. I was going to donate it to the church. (laughs) Or maybe you've heard of the mother who was seeking to teach her daughter a lesson about giving. She gave her little girl a quarter and a dollar bill and told her, put whatever one you want in the collection plate and keep the other for yourself. When they were coming out of the church, the mother asked the daughter which amount she had given. Well, said the little girl, I was going to give the dollar, but just before the collection, the man in the pulpit said that we should be a cheerful giver. I knew I'd be a lot more cheerful if I kept the dollar and gave God the quarter. Giving is truly a matter of the heart, is it not? And so is not giving a matter of the heart. For as we'll see in our text, our giving is really a window of our own heart. Our giving is really a window of the way in which we view and appreciate God. In our text, the remnant has returned. Returned to the promised land after years in exile. They've rebuilt the temple. But if we're honest, this remnant has lived in a land plagued by drought and a land still occupied by their enemy, the Persians. But the real concern is that the people have broken covenant with God. They've offered blemished sacrifices. Their priests are not teaching the law. We've read that the people were living immoral lives of divorce and intermarriage with pagans. And now in our text this morning, we read of them robbing God of what is his. The root of the problem is their hard hearts. We see it in their constant questioning every time God's word is given to them. Their relationship with God is broken, but the problem is they don't see it. Yet God has loved them, and he continues to love them. He continues to call his people to repentance. He does so as he reminds them of who he is and who they are. Let's take a look. Beginning of verse 6, we read, For I am the Lord, do not change. Therefore you, O children of Jacob, are not consumed. The immutable God. God does not change. For I, the Lord, do not change. As evidence of this, the Lord gives this kind of picture. The evidence is that you, the children of Jacob, aren't consumed. Who is this people of Jacob? Well, this is an unchanging people. Just like their God, they're unchanging, but in a bad way. They continually have a hard heart. They continually act like their fathers before them. We're reminded that Not too long ago, just one chapter, they actually accused and questioned God's justice. They said everyone who does evil is good in the sight of the Lord. The problem was they were blaspheming God by making accusations of who he was. And God says, no, let me tell you who I am. I am the unchanging one. It's the only reason you're not consumed. 
Interesting enough, in our text, and as we've moved through this book, we know that God is fully aware of these people and who they are. He's fully aware of their hearts. He's fully aware of their history. He's fully aware of their waywardness. A waywardness that was just like their father's. And yet through it all, God is faithful. God does not change. Church, this is the center of our hope. That God is faithful. That God does not change. The psalmist captures this in Psalm 89, verse 33, when he says, speaking on behalf of God, he says, but I will not remove from him my steadfast love or my faults or be false to my faithfulness. Interesting, that, that idea that he won't be false to his faithfulness, that God will not remove his steadfast love from his people. God is unchanging. God is ever faithful. The book of James, James chapter 1, verse 17, says every good and perfect gift is from above. It's coming down from the Father of lights, with whom there is no variation, no shadow due to change. God is unchanging And yet God remains the same from one generation to the other in his love for his people. And yet the people continue to test God. They continue to test God by their disobedience. According to verse 7, they turn aside from my statutes and have not kept them. God does not change and neither do they because we see the sinfulness of their hearts since the fall of their father Adam. And yet notice the call in verse 7, to return to me, and I will return to you. Church, that's the gospel in the Old Testament. That's God's love poured out to his people. Return to me, and I will return to you. What a beautiful picture. You would think in this moment they would hear the tenderness of God's voice and respond appropriately, but that's not their response. How do they respond? With this question. How shall we return? (laughs) Understand, this is not a genuine question. This is one that shows their hearts. They're ultimately saying, how shall we return since we never left? We haven't moved. We haven't changed. See, sadly, they're spiritually deaf, aren't they? In our text, we see a people who are spiritually deaf. People who are not realizing that God has left them. We call this Ichabod. In the Old Testament, the glory has departed because of their sin. Yet they know of no shortcoming in their life. They view themselves as upright and standing and doing as everything they should. Even though Malachi has been delivering a play-by-play of their sinful actions, chapter by chapter, verse by verse, And yet we see a people who are living in the land of self-denial. We see a people who reject any form of conviction. They will not have it. They do not want it. They reinterpret the truth about themselves for themselves. How easy it is for us to do the same. It's a picture of our hard-heartedness as we see the hard-heartedness of this people. We were told just not too long ago that they weary the Lord. They weary the Lord. They test Him wrongly. They think it doesn't matter what they present to the Lord. They think it doesn't matter what they give to God. They think it doesn't matter how they treat their Creator. 
or how they honor him, what does it matter? Yet the key to this restored relationship with God is returning. This is the call, return to me and I will return to you, he says in verse 7. Return. Return. Repent is really the idea here. Move towards me. Turn from your sin. Turn towards me and I will turn towards you. All they need to do is return, for God has not changed. God is still the loving, faithful God they always knew him to be. And so then God has to charge them because of their unrepentant heart. Notice in verse 8, he says, will man rob God? Will man rob God? No, of course not. We think about man robbing God seems insanity. How can man rob God in since there is a, such a, a, a distance, such a, such a gulf between God and man? How can we ever rob God? Yet look at verse 8. God says, yet you are robbing me. You rob me of my glory is what he says. You rob me of my honor. You rob me of who I am. To which they respond, how have we robbed you? Boy, these are just like teenagers, aren't they? Every time God says something through his prophet, they have something to respond with. How? How have we done this? How have we robbed you? This moment, you kind of picture God rolling up his sleeves. Okay. Through my tithes and through your offerings. What was a tithe? The tithe was giving God the, the first of the tenth percent. The idea was giving God the tenth percent that belonged to him because everything came from God in the first place. It was actually written in the law of Moses that this was expected amongst God's people, that they would give him the first of their increase. But it wasn't just their tithes, it was also their offerings. It was above and beyond gifts to honor God. They were honoring, they were dishonoring God rather than honoring God. These gifts were supposed to be given out of a heart of gratitude, out of a heart of thankfulness. And yet all along we're told that they are robbing God. Pastor Dominic Smart says this tithing, this offering wasn't a tax. It's not a debt. No, he says what it really is is a seed that was to be sown. A seed of trust. A seed of faith. A seed of hope and reliance upon God's faithfulness. Yet they misunderstood the unchanging God, didn't they? And they began to think that it really didn't matter what I gave God. It doesn't really matter what we do with God. It doesn't matter at all because God doesn't really matter, does he? And God says, you're robbing me. You're robbing me. As a child, my house was broken into i got to be honest, it created feelings of being violated as a little boy. It made you angry, but as a little boy, I was powerless to do anything about it. I remember laying in bed, having trouble to sleep out of fear, and I remember that it created anger in my parents as they saw the fear that their son had. My parents had anger for those whom they didn't even know who broke into their home. But understand this, church. Make no mistake, God knows those who rob him. God knows those who rob him. 
Do we think it makes God less angry? Do we think that it makes God less angry when we rob him than when our possessions are robbed from us? There's an old Puritan by the name of Thomas Gouge. He's interesting about Thomas Gouge. Most people have never heard of him. Yet John Owen and the great Thomas Manton said, this is one we must all listen to. Thomas Gouge wrote a book called Riches Increased by Giving. This is what he said. Thomas Gouge said, fear not to lose by laying out. Fear not to lose by laying out. For it's the laying up what thou should lay out that thou hast most danger. Let me say that again. It's the laying up what thou must lay out that has most danger. It's the keeping. It's, the, it's the, our thinking we know best what to do with it rather than giving it to God that actually has the most danger, Thomas Gouge teaches us. We are not smarter than God. Everything we have comes from God. Why do we rob God? Do we think that God would not be angry? Friends, look at verse 9. There is a cost. You are cursed. You are cursed with a curse, for you are robbing me. You are cursed. Some may ask, weren't they cursed because of their other sins? After all, they're living in a time of drought. Maybe they didn't have the money to give. But the point is, they should have given even out of their poverty, for this would have shown their hearts of repentance After all, did not Jesus point to the widow who offered her might, saying that she gave more than all others because she gave out of her poverty everything that she had? See, by not giving, one robs. By not giving to the Lord, one robs God. And yet God says, in the only way he can, test me. He doesn't mean this in a negative way or in a way in which he's scolding or being abusive as a parent. No, he's gentle in this call, test me, try me. How often when my teenagers would do something wrong and rather than come to me, they would try to fix it themselves and just make a bigger problem. And I would look at them with eyes of sadness and say, come to me, trust me exactly what God is saying here in verse 10. He says, bring in the full tithe into the storehouse that there may be food in my house. Notice that their tithes and offerings were for the house of the Lord. But notice this, he says, therefore put me to the test, says the Lord of hosts. Try me. Don't you know who I am? I'm the unchanging one. I'm the faithful one. I am the loving one. Bring in the tithes. And as you do, it it will be a good test, a right test. It will be a test of faith. It will be a test of trusting me. It will be a test of taking my word seriously. So he says, put me to the test. Look at what he promises to do here in verses 10 and 11. He says, If I will not open the window of heaven for you and pour down for you a blessing until there is no more need, I will rebuke the devourer for you so that it will not destroy the fruits of your soil and your vine in the field shall not fail to bear fruit, says the Lord of hosts. 
Then all the nations will call you blessed, for you will be in a land of delight, says the Lord of hosts. And notice just what God promises. God says, do this, test me, try me, watch what I will do for you. I will open the windows of heaven. I will pour blessing upon you. Until there's no more need, I will continue to bless you. Trust me. I will rebuke the devourer from you. The thing that takes your resources will take them no longer. The vine will produce fruit. The nations will call you blessed. You will live in a land of delight. Trust me. Test me. It's about testing the Lord. It's about trusting in the God who doesn't change. Friends, this is just a picture of the promise of the good shepherd in Psalm 23. What are we told there? My cup overflows. Surely goodness and mercy follow me all the days of my life. Trust me, God says. God wants his people to enjoy his blessing. After all, everything they have comes from him. Trust me, he says. Have faith in my provision. Take my word seriously. For it is far better to give than to receive. Remember what that old missionary Jim Elliott once said? He is no fool who gives what he cannot keep to gain that which he cannot lose. He is no fool who gives what he cannot keep to gain that which we cannot lose. Church, could you imagine if the people of God globally gave faithfully? Could you imagine what God would do and the blessing he would pour out? Pastor Ellsworth, I think, says it to the heart, gets to the heart of it when he says, you may look at your bank account and find reasons not to give. But if we look, as we should, at the cross, we can't help but want to give. We give out of gratitude. And yet we see here in just these few verses the people's response to this call for testing the unchanging God. The people are still left unchanged themselves. Look at verse 13. Verse 13, he says, Your words have been hard against me, says the Lord. But you say, how have we spoken against you? Again, mouthing back like a teenager. Verse 14, he says, you've said it in vain. It's pointless. It's meaningless to serve God. What is the profit of our keeping his charge? Or what profit is there walking as one mourning or repenting is the idea there before the Lord? See, they're questioning God. What's the point? What's the point in serving God? What's the point in in repenting? What's the point in honoring God? Notice verse 15. And now we call the arrogant blessed. Evildoers not only prosper, but they put God to the test and they escape. They say, what's the point? Look around. See the world? God doesn't need us. God, God doesn't take care of them. God doesn't punish the wicked. But the problem was they didn't see themselves as wicked. They didn't see themselves as those who were robbing God. See, their position now is actually even far worse than it was in 2.17 where they wearied the Lord. They now are much wearying the Lord. They're wearying the Lord with blasphemous assumptions yet again. And this time they're rejecting his calls 
to repentance. But see, this people have it all wrong, don't they? The people have it all wrong. All they need to do is try and see. See, if the people only knew who God truly was, God is the unchanging one. God is the faithful one. God is the loving one. He doesn't want his people to suffer. He wants to bless them. If they would only trust God. Believer, this passage is calling each of us home. This passage is calling each of us to return to the Lord. Believer, this passage is calling us just as the prodigal to come to our senses. To begin to see that what we have isn't ours. It belongs to the Lord and we should give it willingly with hearts filled with gratitude. Thomas More once said, the perseverance of the saints is guaranteed. But it's not guaranteed because of their unchangeable love towards God, but because of his unchangeable love towards them. Church, that's the good news of the gospel. We have an unchanging God who loves us immensely and yet who works faithfully to teach us the lessons we need to learn, to trust him, to rest in his hands, to look to him with all hope and confidence. That's the charge, that we would stop robbing God of his honor and glory and trust him faithfully. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, as we close our Bibles, as we ponder, Lord, those areas where you have pricked us, help us, Lord, not to put off to tomorrow what we need to do today. Help us to respond, Lord, as appropriate followers of Christ. Those who understand that we are called to honor you for all good things come from you. We pray these things now in Jesus' name. God's people said. Amen. This has been a podcast of First Presbyterian Church in Trenton, Michigan. For more information, please visit us online at fpchurch.tv.